everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Raven Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard and the Washington Military Department. I'm Jason Christ. Thank you for being here. So September is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. It's a time when mental health professionals, advocates, organizers, survivors, and allies come together to raise awareness and to promote help-seeking behavior. Today's episode is a deeply heart-wrenching, vulnerable, and emotional one. I welcomed back Jenica Cardenas to the show. You may remember that she's the R3SP coordinator for the state. That's Resilience, Risk Reduction, and Suicide Prevention. It's her job to disseminate relevant resources and information down through the formation. And for this episode, she brought with her Aaron McCarthy. Some of you may know him. He is a longtime member of the Washington National Guard, as well as a few years in the Marine Corps. He opened up to us about his uh, deployment, where, where a vehicle he was in was struck by an IED. He then talks to us about the many years of struggling with TBI and PTSD and, and how it led to a downward spiral where he found himself alone with a gun in his hand. But he eventually found the help he needed in snowmobiling. Now he helps run a nonprofit that takes veterans and first responders who are also struggling with their injuries high up into the Colorado Rockies on week-long training and education on snowmobiling and avalanche education. It's called All American Heroes Foundation. So please, I, I hope that you listen to this story. The topic of suicide is present and ongoing now as much as it ever was. As of this recording, veterans and service members are questioning their service in Afghanistan as we watch the country fall back into the hands of the Taliban. I've listed many resources available to you in the show notes. Please peruse the show notes and take in any resources that you may deem relevant. And now I bring you Aaron McCarthy's story. Thank you. Okay, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me um, for another conversation. Um, September is um, Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month, and um, we've brought in a couple people to their to our new little studio here. <laughs> this is uh, kind of like a new new area that we got set up in our office, and um, it's pretty pretty neat. We're excited about it, and um, so. To talk about Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month, um, I brought in um, Jenica Cardenas, who is the R3SP coordinator. And if you don't know what R3SP means, that is Resilience, Risk Reduction, and Suicide Prevention Coordinator. She works over at the JSS in Building 3. And I've also got Aaron, Aaron McCarthy, who is a um, former member of the Active and the National Guard, and he um, is the founder of the All-American Heroes Foundation, and we're here to talk about his story and how his foundation came about. So, Jenica, just going to kick it off to you real quick, and uh, what you guys, what 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 is uh, what are you guys doing to um, bring awareness to suicide prevention? Yeah, thank you for having us again. Um, I appreciate it. As Jason mentioned. Um, it is uh, Suicide Awareness and Prevention Month um, in September. And the DOD slogan this year is Connect to Protect. So I wanted to try to promote connectedness within our community. And I've known Aaron McCarthy for 15 plus years, I think. Yeah. Um, 
and I thought that it would be a great idea to bring him in to talk a little bit about his military career, um, his struggles with suicide, PTSD, TBI, but also his story and how All American Heroes Foundation came about. So thank you, Aaron, for being here and being vulnerable mm-hmm. and oh, connecting thanks. with thanks. Um, <laughs> with us. I mean, that's important because we want to kind of normalize and to um, get people to seek seek help if they yes. if they right. feel like they need it because um, it's a lot of times you know it's just too much to for people to handle sometimes you know and and then we would just want to normalize help seeking behavior definitely we want we want to avoid judgment or assumptions and we want to encourage help seeking and we, ultimately we want to show support we want to be able to check in offer support and connect with the resources yeah well Aaron, uh what do you what do you got for me what's, what your, what's, your, for what's you? your story like let's, well, let's start about i guess with your your army, army career my army career yeah well i uh I enlisted in 1992 in the United States Marine Corps, did four years in the Marine Corps, got out, uh, went to school, and ran out of college money, and then uh, enlisted in the National Guard, and spent the next 18 and a half years in the National Guard, um, AGR, and then I retired in 2015, and... Um, what, were yes. some, what were some of the units you were in? in the, so in I the was Guard? in... Um, so I came into the National Guard, I was in the... Uh, 142nd Engineer Battalion in uh, Camp Ripley, Minnesota. Then I transferred out here to Washington, and I was with two of the 146. Got an AGR job. Went to recruiting. Um, and from recruiting, I deployed to Iraq with the 161. Um, got uh, wounded. And then from the 161, I was at... Oh man, various units. I can't even remember. It's you caught me off guard on that one. Um, one six one. Then I worked at the JSS. I've been at the three o third, and then I left. I think the three o third was my final final mm-hmm. uh, battalion that I was at. So yeah, so it's been a it's been quite the quite the career. Yeah, um, served a lot of uh, great leaders. Um, throughout my career and uh, yeah it's just been it's it's been a whirlwind my wife is uh, the g1 sergeant major now so uh, I'm excited about that and uh, so it's a little plug for you honey so uh, um, I was told not to embarrass her so I'm not going to embarrass her today so um, but but no um, yeah I, I, I had a I had a great time here in the National Guard, um, learned a lot of things, and, um, you know, with with everything that happens with your career and war, um, you tend to, to um, stuff things away and not mm-hmm. deal with them, and it wasn't until I left that I realized um, that I I didn't take the time to deal with the issues that I had. Um, so for a long time I was in a, in a bad place. And, um, so yeah, it got to a point where, um, I contemplated suicide 
on multiple occasions. So are are you comfortable going back to the 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 time and place where you were wounded and speaking to that a little bit yeah. and and yeah. and can you like what what happened? So I was part of a Eagle 161 which was a Essentially, it's a met. It was a a met team. Um, we were a twelve man team assigned to the ING um, in Baghdad, in uh, Zafarnia, and we were on a presence patrol in the middle of the night, and we had our INGs with us, and we were clearing a route um, down towards Diala. And we came across a um, bunch of burning trash. And uh, my uh, platoon sergeant said, we're pushing through. And I was in the turret. And uh, I yelled down. I said, let's stop. Stop. And he's like, what? We got to go. And I said, no, we need to stop. And uh, I said, I got to pray. And... uh, so I prayed for God to shield us in this time of need, and that was the uh, only thing I said. And we pushed through and got about halfway down Route Irish, and uh, the uh, rear of our vehicle hit an IED and uh, threw us sideways and uh, ejected me partially out of the turret. And somewhere along the time of getting ejected, um, I separated my shoulder, got a piece of shrapnel in my arm, um, broke my nose, um, broke my cheekbone, and uh, our rear gun truck pulled up, and they're yelling at me, and I came to, and I said, I'm up, and I crawled back in the turret, and uh, we continued to engage, and we called for QRF, and QRF came, and... um, I don't even know how long it was. And I never left the turret. And uh, just fight or flight. And I I don't remember. I don't remember anything from the time I crawled back in the turret to the time I stopped engaging. Other than there was a pile of uh, brass all over the place. So, um, yeah. And uh, that gunner is in Syria right now. Um, he's my best friend and, uh, I think about him, think about him right now. So, well, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry that happened, you know, but it's, it's honest, it's the nature of our, our business. And I was, I was fortunate. mm, Yeah, exactly. It was just a piece. I mean, no bigger than the size of my, uh, pinky and it cauterized. That's the funny thing. So it had cauterized and. I didn't even know, um, I I didn't even know that my shoulder was separated. I you know I had a piece of shrapnel in my arm. I didn't know my nose was broke, other than the fact I had yelled down to my gunner or my driver after the after everything was done, and I had looked around and saw all the brass everywhere, and and I said, "Holy, is my uh, is my nose bleeding?" <laughs> And he's like, yeah, Sergeant, your nose is bleeding. And that's when my adrenaline just dumped because that's when, 
I started to feel everything. My arm started to throb mm. and, you know, then I started to feel my face and, you know, wow. I don't remember ever losing consciousness, but, uh, yeah, never, never really tell that story. And, but I think it's, it's relevant to today and, um, suicide has, has been a thorn in my side um, probably since August 12th of 2004. I just suppressed it, and I was constantly dealing with surgery after surgery after surgery after surgery to correct all of the physical aspects of my life so I could get back into the fight. And, um, and that was that was the... I didn't even know at the time that I had a brain injury. So that was the other aspect of this that totally, um, you know, later on, and I can talk about this later, but that was probably the turning point where I hit that brick wall and was like, there's nothing left. I got, I, I have nothing left to offer. It's, that's it. Um, but yeah, when you when you spend so much time in uniform trying to stay on top of your game and you're dealing with the physical aspects of it, but you're not you're not addressing the mental health aspects of it. Fast forward ten years and now you're at the point of retirement and you're leaving all those friends behind. And now you're sitting in your garage and you've got nobody there and you're retired and you're 43 years old and your wife's still in uniform and she's going to work and your kids are going to school and you spend seven to eight hours by yourself and you're told you can't work anymore. What do you do? What, I mean, what do you do? Hmm. And, and I, and I was in a dark, dark, dark place and it, and it really, it really starts wearing on you mentally. And then on top of the fact that you have plenty of money so you can go and buy toys, mm -hmm. you know, to try to suppress that. So you go and kind of like a distraction. Yeah. you got all these distractions, you know, your, your wife gives you a budget every week, you know, and that budget is more than most people have a month and you go and buy storage units and you clear out these storage units and get all these great little knickknacks and mm -hmm. then that gets boring. Then you go buy weapons, and then that gets boring. And then you go buy tractors and heavy equipment and a sawmill. And and I'm only speaking of this as, as my personal experience. You buy more land, mm -hmm. but that doesn't that doesn't correct any of the mental health issues that that you're supposed to be dealing with. So. It's like you're shoving it in a bag. You keep shoving you it in a bag. You just hope that, you know, things get better. And like you said, you had everything. You had your family. You had your financial status was right. spot on and everything else. But you were still living in that scenario yeah. way back when. Yep. And because you're trying, you're trying to get that adrenaline rush back. And there's... You get these short bursts of adrenaline. Yeah, I got this really new, really cool new gun. That's awesome. 
for the five minutes you have it until you put it in your safe. Mm -hmm. Or I just bought a new tractor. Well, it's really cool until you park it in the garage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, or you just bought this new, all this extra land so you could, you know, cut down all these trees so you can mill lumber to sell to who? You got nobody to sell to because you don't trust anybody or you, you're, your inner circle is so tight that those people don't know anybody to sell to. So, and then you don't trust people to come on your property because you're hyper vigilant, and and then you don't trust the system because you've heard so many bad things about over medicating mm. and you know misdiagnosis and all this stuff, and then you have a grandma seizure. And then your world stops. And then you have to learn mm. all this stuff over again. You have, you can't drink alcohol anymore. You can't drive. You can't leave your house. So now you're, this freedom you think you have is now closing in on you. And you are literally now confined to... 2,900 square feet and I have my wife can attest to this and we had had those conversations I'm shaking right now we'd had those conversations about I feel like I'm stuck in this bubble I can't get out of you know and you know she would say you just need to go talk to somebody who am I going to talk to who am I going to talk to that understands you know, the the great thing about finding an unbiased social worker is that they listen and give you tools to work with. The problem with my experience, and I'm saying that my experience, <laughs> mm -hmm. is that they're so overwhelmed with people that have similar issues that it's just a listening game now or then when I went through all of this that they get desensitized and it's no longer uh, there's no emotion in it and for us we need that emotion because I might as well talk to a brick wall if I'm going to go sit in a counselor's office for an hour because for them to sit there and go, mm-hmm, yep, yep, well, maybe you should write this down. I don't know how many times I can write things down. Who am I going to talk to? Who can relate? So that's when, um, that's when I started to go really deep into um, after my my grandma um and i was stuck at home i was i was coming out of um my six well it was nine months but nine months of not being able to drive and uh i knew and i started to exercise again and i was like yeah i'm gonna get back into shape and i'm gonna start start doing things and you know i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna do that and then I went in, and I had a hernia that I hadn't corrected. And I was like, I'm going to go have this hernia surgery. I'm going to get that fixed. And I got this. And then I wake up in the cardiac wing in the VA hospital. 
October 16th of 2017. And the hits keep get the hits keep coming. Yeah. And um and that's when between that and November 4th of uh 2017 was probably the darkest days of my life. You know, I'm 40 45 years old now and I've got a heart monitor and I've got a heart condition and I'm on warfarin and I had correcting a blood clot and almost died again and I didn't know what to do and um, I was in my garage and thinking about ending my life and um, I was just thinking about all those things that mattered and it came down to my wife and my kids and nothing else mattered I'm here for them and um, I don't know how I don't know if it was divine intervention but a good friend of mine called me in uh, November like within a couple of days of me literally um, having the gun in my hand and sitting on a Coleman cooler in my garage and um, said, you need to come to Colorado. And I said, what for? And he's like, I need to take you into the mountains and get you on the Continental Divide. And I was like, I don't want to go to the Continental Divide. I don't even want to get on a plane. He's like, no, you need to come to Colorado. So, um, so I went to Colorado and I went on a trip called the Warrior Ride. And the Warrior Ride is for veterans um, that are dealing with PTSD or, well, it's PTSD or traumatic injuries. Um, and it gets them out into the backcountry and basically puts them on a 850cc snowmobile. And we get up in the mountains and it's four days of nothing but being with your fellow patriots and learning skills and doing some team building being and nature being with nature yeah. and so i had this purple heart that was always a point of contention with me and some may find their their words you know a sign of pride but this one particular award to me personally was just not it was a uh, it was just I, I just couldn't shed the the pain. Um so I had carried it with me to Colorado and just by chance I was on the Continental Divide and um I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm telling this because it's, it's just how real I am and those of you that know me know that I would tell it like it is, but uh it's on the Continental Divide, and everybody's riding around. There's 21 of us veterans just ripping around on these $15,000 snowmobiles and having a good time and falling over in six, eight feet of snow. And it's you're above the clouds. It's the most beautiful thing, and there's nothing out there, nothing out there but trees and clouds and sun, and it's quiet, and you only have your thoughts. And your friends and you're you know and you're just enjoying life 
you know, and, and I was just sitting on the snowmobile and I was like, I gotta go to the bathroom. And I looked over and about 40 feet away was a, was a cluster of trees. And, uh, I was like, I'm going to walk over there. Well, I made it over there, but it was literally, I'm only five, seven. And so driving, trouncing through six feet of snow, I was literally hand over, you know, <laughs> elbow to elbow, which is basically, you know, combat rolling all the way over to the trees so I could go to the bathroom. But I didn't end up going to the bathroom. I just stood there and I just was looking around and I undid my pocket and I grabbed my purple heart out and I was like thinking to myself, I was like, if any place is the place to put this. And I just made a fist and I stuffed it as deep as I could into the snow and it's still up there. You know, um, that's as close to my mom as I'll ever get. 13,142 feet. And, uh, it was like I shed this huge weight. Um, and so I told myself that when I came home that I was going to teach myself how to ride mountain snowmobiles. And eventually I was going to figure out a way to pay this forward. And so through that, um, I rode that next season. So 2018. 2019, I went back out there and rode again with the Warrior Ride. Um, and then they were doing a Honor Your Heroes sled giveaway. Um, and my wife, Master Sergeant Jeter, uh, for those of you that know him, um, and a bunch of other people, including my daughter, um, submitted my name with my story and, uh, out of a thousand applicants, I won a snowmobile <laughs> and, uh, I figured out that that was the time where I needed to make the jump and pay this forward. So on July 15th of last year, all American heroes was born. And, uh, so that's that's an incredibly personal and so very moving story. I, I I can't. I mean, I'd be lying if I wasn't, you know, feeling my feels too. So I am nothing special. I'm just another guy. But but what you do with you, what you do with that pain is, you know. I want to be remembered for the good things I did in life. I don't want to remember, be remembered for the things I could have done. Mm -hmm. So, you know. I, I just, I, I, my, my hope is that somebody who's listening to this, you know, will find if they find themselves in a similar situation to be motivated and to 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 try to seek help and. Um, um, thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah, we want... The reason why I brought Aaron here is because everybody's different and everybody needs different things to help them through their struggles, right? And, you know, talk therapy isn't for everybody. As Aaron mentioned, it wasn't for him. He just didn't connect. And I think 
again, connection is so huge and we don't think about it. But when you're connecting to people that have shared the sim a similar experience with you, um, you don't have to explain all the ins and outs, but they just are, are sitting there and listening to you. Um, that plays a huge part in healing. Right. Mm. And so with, with the All-American Heroes Foundation, Aaron, how, how do you hope to impact your um, veterans and Absolutely. your first responders? So when we stood this, so when All-American Heroes was born, um, I'm still very good friends with uh, Leslie Main, who's um, the founder of the Permission to Start Dreaming Foundation out in Gig Harbor. And I've talked back and forth with her a lot about our model. And All-American Heroes Foundation um, is, is, is set up based on a soft cell post-traumatic growth model so what we do is we we do the team building um we have um we have counselors in place we have the suicide prevention hotline um, which is on our website um, we have what we call ambassadors that are on our team that are veterans and first responders that can take those we call them 911 calls but and that's internally, but that's, you know, if somebody reaches out to me per se, like via text or instant message and says, hey, I need to talk to somebody. I can say, okay, hey, you know, I'm not a counselor, but what is, you know, what's going on? Would you like to talk to a counselor? I can connect you with the right person. Or do you just want to talk to somebody? I give them the option. If we find that they're in a situation where they need more than what they're telling us, I mean, it doesn't take very long for us to figure it out i mean i am i'm also a product of the system so you know i can i can read mm -hmm. people pretty well so what we do is is we set them up with a particular level of response we have a particular level of responsibility how that plays out is we start with an individual on our team if that individual feels that at the time that per they can't help that person we move them to the next stage and keep moving and that's how our ambassador program works how we want to do it is we want them to come to us and feel like they're not being pressured into doing something that they can't empower themselves into making the change so i hope i'm making sense so we don't want to enable anybody to we don't want them to feel enabled we want them to feel empowered. So if you want to go talk to a counselor and you think that's what you need, we've got the resources for it. If you just want to talk to somebody and vent, we've got the resources for it. If you think you need to you've got you need to get on the suicide prevention hotline, we have that resource too. We're trying to make a full circle on how we can address these issues. Now, when it comes to the program, we've got a few factors in place they have to have a set um a set criteria of of a set chain of events that have to happen before we can get them on our rides they have to be stable they have to be sober 
they that's huge for us. They have to be medically fit enough where, you know, we if we get them up at 10,000 feet and they can't breathe, you know, now we're putting ourselves in an emergency situation. Yeah. Um, we have... We have a special forces medic that goes on most of our rides with us. If he can't, we have other personnel that work with us. Um, and the reason why is because we want to have that first responder with us. We want to make sure that we're covering all our bases so we're self-contained. Um, and then now we're partnering with other organizations like Leslie's where we can take these men and women that need that extra, you know, one week long, um, outreach therapy. And if they want it, they can get it. And Leslie will make sure it happens. That works for us. Um, I don't want to push therapy if it doesn't work for them. But what happens with our program now is we can take our program and we can put them in the mountains with, half a dozen fellow veterans and first responders. They can learn a new skill, i.e. backcountry riding, whether it's snowmobiling or side-by-sides or dirt bikes or quads or fly fishing. And then on top of that, they're building friendships with like individuals that share similar experiences. And we are now giving them that outlet that we're giving them a way to what we call throttle the bar, right? Mm -hmm. If you need to go vertical for a thousand feet at 60 miles an hour, you're not going to hurt anybody but the snowmobile, right? Yeah. It's a safe space. It's a safe (laughs) space. And it's a, and, and, and there's, we've got plenty of pro riders that are on our team that are in there and they keep them confined, you know, keep them very, very confined to certain parameters. You know, there's certain things that we don't allow them to do, but at the same time, we want them to get that experience, get that adrenaline pump again. And then by doing that, we, we, we're building our, our pool and then we've got return riders. So once we do that, then What we have is we have three phases of our program. We have a basic hero's ride, which is basically they go on these three and four day trips. They learn how to ride a snowmobile. They do some team building. Um, We have our counselor that comes and does basically a four hour block. It's not a four hour block. It's a two and two, two in the morning, two in the afternoon um, of some post-traumatic growth tools that they can use to deal with their um, their PTSD, TBI, or mobility, because it all mm-hmm. kind of falls into the same category. And then um, we also have flyers that basically give them a list of all the resources that we offer them that they can use throughout the season when they're not with us. Then we have those that come back and they want to actually take this riding seriously and we put them into the mountains in an actual class we call it avalanche safety and education program Um, and it is an actual three-day avalanche safety and education where they learn avalanche safety and education 
They do a day of um, a day of first aid, and then they do a day of avalanche recovery. So it's it's five, but it's three days of avalanche safety and education, and then the two other days. The the first aid and um, CPR that is given by um, a nurse practitioner and a special forces medic. So we're set there. And then as far as the um, avalanche recovery and um, search and rescue piece of that, um, that's actually given on where we work in Gunnison, Colorado. Um, that's given by the county. So we're set for that. So they're literally walking away with like viable skills when they leave. And not to mention the fact that Think of the 22 years in, that I spent in the military in all of what I've done. CPR, first aid, CLS, navigation, you know, mm -hmm. um, recovery, you know, all these things. Now add that into the mountains. Now take a first responder, add that into the equation. Mm -hmm. Not only is it making it a healthier environment for everybody, they're learning something. So they're giving back to their community. They can take that and use that if they have a side-by-side -side or a snowmobile or they purchase that stuff or they're just going out and camping and they get themselves in a situation where they're out camping and somebody, say, falls in the river or sky's the limit, right? So it's just that muscle memory getting them back in the groove mm -hmm. and it gives them an opportunity to feel like they... Some purpose. Some purpose, right? Yeah. So. So then we have the second phase of that is the avalanche safety and education. And then we also have that third phase where we've got those, that, those people that just want to learn, just want to learn the skills. So it's, we call it, um, we call it, uh, powered by driven. Um, and what it is, is we push your limits as much as you feel you can do to reach your individual peak. That's as hard as we're going to push you. So it's, we call it the basically the ranger school of our of our riding. Um, you know, we get you off the trails, we get you in the mountain, and we push you, and we push you and push you and push you, just past that next limit, right? So if you know your commander in in our military, you know when we served, our commander said, "Yeah, we're just going to do a 12, 12 mile ruck." Well, it ends up being sixteen, but he didn't tell you, right? So. If we're only going to go to the top of this mountain, you know, we're kind of playing that commander role, right? If we tell you we're only going to go to the top of this mountain, and then the next thing you know, we're on the top of the next peak, and then the next thing you know, we're we're down through a ravine and back up a 30-degree slope, and you're standing on top of a mountain, and the clouds are below you, and you're at 10,000 feet. What did you just do? Without you even knowing it mentally, you just accomplished something that most have never done. So by reaching your own individual peak and pushing them past their limits just a little bit, it gives them a little bit of power back. So that's where this, this adrenaline for me came where I know that like for this coming season, I have to push myself just a little bit more past where I was last year, right? So, sorry. But it... <clears throat> In these three phases, and then, oh, I'm sorry, for Jenica, we have our women's peer. Um, so the women, we had some a huge demand on the women wanting to stick organic. So ladies, 
if you're listening, you <laughs> all have your own little niche. Um, and I think that's a great aspect of our program. Um, and it's something that, you know, having a daughter that rides with me, she's like, she's my little right hand, right hand man, so to speak. You know? Right hand girl. Right hand girl. <laughs> um, but, you know, for a 13 year old girl, she can, she can ride better than most adults. And um, she doesn't want to ride with me. She doesn't want to learn from me. And I think that that's the way that most people are. You know, Jenica doesn't want to learn from me. I know that Sergeant Major McCarthy doesn't want to learn from me either. (laughs) So get the women out there, let them do their own thing, and then they get the opportunity to actually do their own team building and deal with their own individual um, PTSD, post-traumatic growth uh, issues yeah. on their own. Um, you know, and, I, and we all have our own individual issues to deal with, how we deal with them. Um, you know, I, I can't do the medication. I'm, I'm stuck with the medications from my seizures. So there's some medications that I can't take. And I just don't want to be the guy walking around with 19 different medications and taking those every day. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also, I did recently start reaching out to a counselor and talk to to him monthly. Um, He's actually my old counselor from the VA and he's retired. um, And it's been helping a lot. Um, And, And I think that's like important also. So... I see a counselor twice a month. Um, I enjoy it, but it's not enough for me. I also do yoga at almost every day, which right. helps, you know, bring brings me back, you know. And um, I also like riding bikes. So those are all things that I want to encourage people to do. It may not be one thing that right. helps you. It may be like multiple things mm-hmm. um, that keeps you connected and keeps you grounded. But you need to find what makes you happy and what is helping you progress forward because we don't want you to sit there and feel alone. Yeah, right. Well, and I have, I have, a, so of our seven board members, two of them, um, I, I, I grabbed them right away and they said, you know, we, we really, we wanted to start the, you know, start a nonprofit, but we just didn't know where to start. And I said, I started a nonprofit in 2011, all American assistance dogs. Some of you may remember them. Us we're still alive and kicking. Um, I actually have a meeting next Thursday. So <laughs> anybody still looking for a dog, come on over. We got more, we got more coming, but, uh, but we just, you know, Brian said, well, we didn't know where to start. And I said, in 2011, I didn't know where to start either. And even with this nonprofit, I didn't know where to start. Doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a, that you have to start a nonprofit. No, just go out and do something proactive. Mm-hmm. Do something that positively influences others, right? So like Jenica said, yoga. I do yoga every morning too. I don't know why it gives me clarity. It's the weirdest thing. Does it work for everybody? No. Does talk therapy help for everybody? No. I wrote for a long time. I have binders and binders and binders of writing. 
But I found that after a certain amount of time, I'm writing the same thing over again. So did I help myself or was I just revisiting the same story over and over again? Right? So, so how do I push past that? I'm never going to stop remembering what we did or all of my soldiers, positive or negative. But what I can do is I can take that negative and try to turn something positive into this. The snowmobiling or what All-American Heroes Foundation is offering to our veterans and our first responders, I think is a positive way for us as a community or a collective to try something new you know, and there's always room for us to grow, but to try something new and just take the leap, right? Take the leap. What is working in your life now? Or let me back up. What is not working in your life right now that you continually keep mulling over, right? A car that isn't running right. You got the money in your account. You might not have the money in your account, whatever the case may be. If the car isn't working, you got to find a solution to fix that car, right? Or, you know, your relationship may be stagnant or fix it. You know, I have a very, very hard-headed wife. You have a very patient wife, I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I know she's probably, this probably, yeah, she's probably going to listen to this. But, no, but... She is very patient and she allows me to try different things. You know, you throw as much at the wall as you can until something sticks. This is stuck. I never thought in my life she would allow me to go and buy a snowmobile and spend as much as I did. She let me do it and we didn't need it. We had other snowmobiles. But I think she <clears throat> realized and understood the impact it had on you. Right. So she was supportive, and she wants you to find your niche. She right. wants you, you know, to be successful as a member of her family because she loves you. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. I've, I've, I've made it tough on her, and I don't deserve, I don't deserve her love. But you know, she is a, an absolutely fantastic person, and if it wasn't for her. You know, I probably wouldn't have continued on with the writing, but she pushed me because she saw that it has made a change in me. Does she does she think I put too much into it sometimes? Yes. But I think with everything that you're passionate about, you try to put as much into it as you can so it's successful and I don't want it to fail. I mean, there are there are ups and downs with everything, but you know, Nonprofits are very difficult, and when you're dealing with a brain injury, and I'm not using that as an excuse, but when you're dealing with a brain injury, if you don't have a, a solid base, a solid team um, that can help you take that base and grow it, you're going to flounder. And I lucked out, and that's how we've been successful on both nonprofits. Um, so... So what is it about snowmobiling that, that really... It's the adrenaline. Is it? Like, it's the pure adrenaline. I've never ridden one. I've you, never had Jason, that experience. You're coming. <laughs> you're, but, you're absolutely coming up to uh, ride. 
No, it is. Okay. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, like, I don't know. I've just never. So, so what, what, what makes it so adrenaline inducing, you know? So have you ever ridden a dirt bike? No, actually, but uh, I'm going to try uh, this weekend. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm going to go get A quad? Uh, no, two wheel. No, have you ever been on a quad, um, a dirt bike? Or, long, I mean, a long, long time ago. Okay, so the first time you grab a throttle on a mm. on a side by side, right, or a quad, it's that instant rush, you know, like holy crap, this thing just <laughs> yanks you back yeah. in, in the seat, and you're gone. But there's dirt; you don't want to fall over, and you don't want to get scraped up. Well, I can do the exact same thing on a snowmobile, but I'm in six feet of snow. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to, you know, I can get a 417-pound sled flipped over, and I know 85 to 90% that I'm not going to get hurt. You know, do I have to be cognizant of my brain injury? Absolutely. Do I ride by myself? Never. Never, never, never. You never ride by yourself. I never mm-hmm. ride without a pro rider. I have friends that are around here that I ride with. Mm-hmm. Um you just can't. I can't. I mean, what if I have a seizure? Everybody that I ride with knows that I have seizures. Um, but the adrenaline rush, it's just that pure, you look at you look at a 20-degree slope and you're like, can I do it? You know, that what if. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like on a, like when you get a new car and you're like, can I get this thing over 100? I think another important thing that you just mentioned too is like your injuries, right? Your TBI, your yeah. seizures, your shoulder injuries. You have all those. Mm-hmm. They still cause you pain or issues, Absolutely. but you're still able to get out there and yeah. do something that you love. Absolutely. So you don't let those weigh you down. I do not. I don't. I don't allow. I've never allowed my injuries. Six, I just had my sixth shoulder surgery in May, and I never have allowed those injuries, whether it's my ankle, my shoulder, my back my neck, my brain, my nose, I mean, just any of that stuff. I've never allowed that to stop me. And and I, you can't because the minute you stop, and I say this, and I don't mean to say this lightly, the minute you stop, you die. And the minute you stop and sit there and stew about, oh, what was me? That's when the PTSD kicks in. And that's when... The depression starts kicking in, and that's when the booze tastes better, and that's when the 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 just, yeah. yep the fatal funnel right. Yeah. You just start you start going down this horrible path. You know you're sleeping more, you're not showing up to work. You know you're leaving work early. You know your relationships waning. Just all of that stuff starts to manifest itself. That's why whether it's snowmobiling or it's dirt biking, or it's just getting out and going for a walk every morning. I walk every single morning, and I do these morning reflections. And it has helped tremendously. It just gets my mind clear again. Mm-hmm. And that's what, for me, it works. You know, you just got to do something. Stop, stop dwelling on the past, because we can't fix. It's taken me a long time to get to this point. I cannot sit and dwell on the past because I can't fix the past. I, I can't. There's nothing I can do. You know, the day I left Camp Murray in 2012, May of 2012, 
I never looked back. This is the first time I've been in this building since that day. I don't have any animosity towards this place. I, I loved my time here. But I just, it was something that could I have done a lot of different things differently? Absolutely. Am I going to, am I going to change any of that? Nope. So I can, I can make the best of, of the situation and try to change people's lives in a positive way. And this is it. So <laughs> thank you. I hope that was enough. Yeah. <clears throat> Put a button on it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so anything else we want to? No, I just appreciate out? you. I, I appreciate you guys um, allowing me. And Jenica, we've known each other for 20 years. Oh, 20 years. Yeah. I said 15 plus. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so technically, I'm, right? <laughs> I, yeah. So I met my wife in, I fl- my wife came up here in 2002. And you were a pre-rep in 2002. Mm-hmm. Yep. He has a good memory. And you were one of our soldiers. <laughs> so, yeah. So, no, I, I, we will be putting out our um, applications at the end of September on our website. So if anybody is interested, uh, please feel free to hit us up um, on our website. It's called um, All-American Heroes Foundation, A-A-A-A-H fdn.com um and like i said we're we're here for any veteran and first responder we'll be here on the 22nd hopefully of of september and have our sleds out here in a little booth and i'll be having i'll have some stickers some hats some shirts uh some beer koozies sorry i don't drink but that's what my team wanted to buy so that's what we got so uh we're stuck with them we're stuck with the koozies but uh I welcome anybody who wants to uh, learn a new skill and uh, enjoy awesome. the experience. So, thank you, everybody, for. Uh, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Erin. Um, so we have some resources um, that you can utilize if you feel like you know you need to reach out to somebody. There's a Veterans and Military Crisis Line. It's confidential. They have 24-7 support. The number is 1-800-273-8255. And then you're going to press 1. You can also text them, um, and that number is 838255. There's also Military One Source, um, 800-342-9647. And as always, um, Building 3, the Joint Services Support, that's where I work. Um, We have a family program hotline. It's 1-800-364-7492. You can also contact me um, at 253-318-9827. So, so many resources. Um, We just want to bring awareness. We want to prevent suicide. And we're here for you. Thank you. And, and we'll put all that information in the show <laughs> notes. So all you have to do is, you know, one click away, just just go into the notes and and uh, you'll be set. Um, again, thank you very much. This is a very, very important topic. It was a very, very personal story that you shared. And I, and I encourage anybody who is 
feeling similar feelings to to reach out um, not just for you but for your family and your friends and your any other people around you that love you so